Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Her name was Stephanie. Her brothers called her Steph, but she didn't let me call her that. Nope, she reserved Steph for her inner circle. For everyone else, it was Stephanie, not one syllable less. For a moment, I thought I would call her Steph one day or something more special. But that didn't happen. Stephanie was Joey's little sister. She was the annoying sibling that always wanted to do what her cool older brothers were doing. Their older brother, Scott, would step in and help by distracting her so that she would leave us alone. At some point, though, Stephanie just kind of disappeared. We went to the same school and I would hang out at her house all the time, but seeing her was like spotting Bigfoot. I remember one sighting. She must have been around 15 or 16. It was the night of my senior prom, and I planned to sleep at their house because my parents could smell whiskey a block away. I caught her walking from the kitchen to the stairs. We made eye contact for the briefest moment before she abandoned her effort to be a quiet mouse and darted up the stairs to her room, her hideout. A couple of years after graduating high school, my buddies and I started going on an annual hiking trip. Scott would research, decide on a route, and plan it all out. Over the years, girlfriends tagged along, and the occasional cousin, Billy. The final year, Stephanie came with us. I remember driving up to Scott's the morning we left. No one told me she was coming. Stephanie was sitting on the porch with her legs crossed. The morning sun highlighted the red tones in her soft brown curls. Her leg bounced up and down, causing her shoelaces to drum off an erratic beat, and she peered at me over her cat-eye sunglasses and lit a cigarette. I don't think I would have looked away if Joey didn't hit the back of my head. Joey's head snapped back to her, and he said something like, Why don't you just vape? It'd be more considerate for, I don't know, everyone around you? She scanned me with her brown eyes before shifting her gaze to her brother. And I'll never forget how she just sighed and said, I'm old-fashioned. Stephanie's eyes flickered back to me as she pushed her sunglasses up her nose to hide her eyes. She smiled. Hey, Nate. It's been a minute. My cheeks heated up so fast. I looked at Stephanie and said, You know, I kind of like the smell of cigarettes. Her smile, I tell you, it bloomed like the first flower in spring. Scott explained why she was joining us as we loaded the car. Her mom admitted her to a mental hospital about a month earlier, after reading disturbing diary entries. Stephanie shrugged it off 
saying it was all a lot more dramatic than it needed to be. Since her release, their parents felt that it was important someone watch her at all times. By the time our hiking trip came around, her parents were fed up and needed a break. The three of them, Joey, Scott, and Stephanie, begged their parents to wait a week, but her mom wouldn't have it. She told them she would crack if Stephanie were in the house a day longer. Scott said she wasn't a brat or mean or anything like that, but she sure did cry a lot. Their parents grew tired of her constant sobs and sniffles. It made them feel like they caused it, and there was nothing they could do to help. She would have fits of feeling entirely alone, and when she talked to them about it, they took it as blame. Stephanie didn't think it was their fault, it was just her brain chemistry. The gist was, she was an emotional mess, and I should leave her alone for my sake. But she sat by me squished against the window on the drive to the mountains. I volunteered to take the middle seat between her and Billy. It was listening to a hundred gecks at full blast with his $15 earbuds. Billy had the worst farts, made the whole car reek within 15 minutes. And every 20 minutes, Joey would pull out his Febreze and spray it in Billy's direction. Billy was unfazed, singing along and mimicking the bass drops. He'd start bobbing his head every now and again, and sometimes... He couldn't stop his arm from doing a small fist bump in his lap. Billy was unfazed. Now Scott's an intelligent guy, and so I tried to listen. But every time I would look over at her, the sun hit her, and the gold and amber in her eyes would dance like the shadow of a mountain at sunset. It was like Persephone was sitting next to me. She smelled like lavender and roses she had the sweetest little giggle. Now, naturally, Stephanie and I got to talking since we were sitting next to each other. She talked about what she missed about Boston and her friends. I told her about my job as a bank manager and my siblings. She asked me what music was my guilty pleasure. Before I could answer, Joey cut in, saying, Faith Hill, because he's a loser. Stephanie was appalled. She told him she was ashamed to call him her brother for not appreciating one of the queens of country music. A little later on, Scott was just downright giddy about how early we got to our destination. He added a couple of extra miles into the woods so that we could stop at a waterfall. Stephanie wasn't outdoorsy. We walked with each other most of the first day. She was miserable. I tried to help her pass the time by telling her the names of the fauna and flora. Never have I been able to impress a girl more by naming what feces came from which animal. And we found a meadow near a spring to make camp for the night. The setting sun streamed in through the trees and lit the small clearing like a disco ball. Now, Stephanie couldn't help setting up the tent or making a fire or even fishing, so... She DJ'd. She played Faith Hill and serenaded Joey until he started to sing along with her. And at that moment, it was hard to imagine her being depressed. Later that night, I was up late to pee, and I heard the sniffles. 
Stephanie was sitting by the dead fire, looking up to the sky. The moon made her tear-stained cheeks shimmer. I checked on her, and she said it wasn't a big deal. She couldn't sleep, which stressed her out, so she got overwhelmed and started crying. Her mind, she told me, would start running, making it impossible to sleep without numbing herself. But not a big deal. She tried to get me to go back to bed, but I said I'd wait a bit and sit with her. She smiled at me. I could see despair lurking in her eyes now. She told me I deserved a nice girl, and I told her she was a nice girl. <laughs> Stephanie laughed and said, Maybe, but you deserve someone who is good all the time. I changed the conversation and I asked if she knew any constellations, and she just shook her head. I tried to point one out, but she didn't look up to see where I was pointing. I tried another constellation, but I was interrupted by a horrible screech. It was sharp and loud. It felt like a needle snake through my ear and stabbed my eardrum. After about 30 seconds, it became weaker and weaker until it faded completely. Scott and Joey came out of the tent, but nothing could wake Billy. None of us knew what kind of animal would make that noise. It sounded almost human, but so feral. And it was close. We were getting back into our tent when we heard the second one. It wasn't a screech this time, but more of a deep wallow. Similar to a noise a cat makes when it's threatened. Stephanie looked at me and said, I think that one lost whatever made the screeching noise. The next day we woke up ate some breakfast, and we were on our way. We walked along the bottom of a high cliff. All we could see in any direction was trees, and it was odd how quiet it was. No birds chirped, and it felt even the wind had stopped blowing. No one wanted to talk about the screech or the wallow. Halfway through the day, we found the body. A moose skull sat on the ground overflowing with the blood that dripped from a corpse above. The corpse looked like it fell from the cliff and was impaled by a dead tree. Its long gray limbs hung down like streamers. They were low enough I had to bend over to avoid brushing against them. It looked human, with breasts like a woman. But humans didn't have nails that thick or sharp. The smell was just so rancid, it made my eyes water. That was the first time I smelled the rotting corpse, and it made Billy's farts look like Febreze. We thought about getting it down, but we didn't have the equipment, so we had to wait to call the rangers when we got back to the car. Stephanie was the only one not circling and examining the dead body. She stared off in the opposite direction. I went over to see what she was looking at, but I just saw a mix of different green pine trees and aspens. When I stepped up beside her, she snapped out of her disassociation. She swung around and said, We should turn back or keep moving, whichever gets us out of these woods the fastest. Scott massaged his forehead. Well, it's two days in both directions, so we should try not to panic. Stephanie interrupted him and urged us to listen, and not write her off as crazy. 
she was worried that the dead thing was a Wendigo, and that it had a friend who was now tracking us. Wendigos are monsters of myth, she explained. According to legend, they start as people, but they become hungry. To satisfy this hunger, they resort to cannibalism, and the savage act of consuming someone else ravages their soul, turning them into monsters. They're quick, quiet, and an apex predator. She knew of two different depictions. One is a massive monster that stands at least seven feet tall and has a giant skull with antlers for a head. The other, the more traditional one, she pointed at the limp body, looked like that. Stephanie explained that the hunger didn't need to be physical to turn someone into a Wendigo. She had read stories of people transforming out of greed. Joey laughed and told her she had watched too many paranormal dramas. Billy tried to laugh with him, but fear was beginning to swell in all of us. Scott didn't comment, but directed us to keep moving and to pick up the pace. As we walked now and again, single concise gusts of wind blew by us. Every time, Stephanie would look in every direction, trying to find the source. The sun started to set and cast an orange glow in the sky. We found a place open enough to light a fire and set up the tent. Stephanie urged us to keep moving, but stopping was smarter, according to Scott. We needed rest. Scott sent Billy and Stephanie to collect some firewood. Stephanie didn't think it was a good idea for us to split up, but Joey told her to shut up and stop being a freak. It hurt her, but she nodded and disappeared into the forest with Billy. The sun dipped further and further into the horizon, turning the orange into a deep, dark blue. We started getting worried that they hadn't come back yet. And then we heard Billy scream. Scott immediately told me to go to the right and Joey to the left to try to find them. I have no idea how far I ran when I started to hear Billy's yelps of pain. I ran around the trees until I saw the waterfall Scott mentioned earlier. It was beautiful. It sparkled as it fell down the cliff into a small lake that fed into a small river. The moonlight reflected off the lake, illuminating the area. Billy lay on the ground by the water, bleeding from his arms and legs. And then I saw Stephanie. She looked up at a tall, skinny, gray man wearing a moose skull. When he took off his headpiece, his head only had a few tufts of hair. He looked partially decomposed and had a cleft lip allowing his sharp teeth to poke out. I watched as she dreamily looked into his eyes, and he tucked a strand of hair behind her ear. He then escorted her to Billy, writhing in pain. Stephanie touched the monster's arm and asked if he could put Billy out of his misery. The monster touched her cheek, then snapped Billy's neck like a pencil. They then dove into his neck, eating him like a rabid dog. He motioned to Stephanie to join him, and she kneeled before Billy and took a deep breath. She slowly leaned over and began to take a bite out of Billy. I fell back, 
snapping some twigs, the Wendigo and Stephanie's eyes beamed in my direction. I got up and started running as fast as I could. When I stumbled into our camp, Scott and Joey were trying to figure out what could have happened to them. I explained what I had seen. Joey, he didn't believe me, but well, Scott listened. He tried to figure out the next thing we needed to do so that we could get away. He asked Joey to use what firewood we had to make a fire and directed me to go with him to get some more. Fire seemed like our only possible defense. And we weren't long gone when we heard Joey scream. I dropped the wood I collected and I bolted back to camp. I ran into the clearing and the Wendigo and Stephanie had Joey cornered. Stephanie had begun to transform. The rosiness left her cheeks, and she was now a light gray. Her hair was dulled and looked thinner from when I saw her about an hour ago. She was on all fours, snarling at her brother with drool dripping down from her mouth. They were enjoying Joey's fear. The Wendigo teased him, running to different directions, so Joey constantly turned his head, trying not to lose him. I threw a rock at Stephanie and hit her in the head. She turned about 180 degrees to look at me. Her teeth looked sharper, her nails were longer, and her hairline receded. She looked like the one dried out flower that somehow stayed alive through the winter. She roared at me, and I could smell her breath from feet away. It reeked of maggot-infested garbage. She started to move towards me on all fours, and I looked into her eyes, which were now black like six-foot-deep graves. With each step she took towards me, I got colder and colder. She stopped, snarled, then whipped around to her brother and took a bite out of his throat. Scott then ran into the clearing. He made a torch and waved it at Stephanie. She recoiled along with her new boyfriend. I got behind Scott as he waved the flame back and forth. Scott told me that we needed to turn and run to the right when he gave me the signal. He looked at the map, and if he's right, there should have been a road about eight miles east. Joey's eyes were glazed over. He laid limp on the ground as blood drained from his neck. The Wendigo turned around and began to consume his meal. This was when Scott signaled to me, and we bolted away. It was like running in a dream. I ran so fast I felt like I was hovering above the ground. Trees still surrounded us, and we started to hear wind gusts like before. This time it came in pairs. They caught up to us running on all fours, baring their teeth, and I felt a sharp pain in my ankle. Stephanie swiped at my heel. I fell to the ground and she began to crawl on top of me. Some drool fell from her mouth onto mine. It tasted like rotting meat. I heard Scott yell to cover my face and I did. Then there was a blast of summer linen and heat above my face. Stephanie then fell back, screeching like a howling banshee. Scott made a blowtorch with the Febreze and a lighter. He helped me up, took one of my arms and wrapped it around his shoulders. We started to hear cars off in the distance. Scott then lifted me onto his shoulders and sped up. 
Beyond the trees, we began to see a horizon. I felt tears starting to well under my eyes. I looked back, and I saw Stephanie, with half her face burned off, and the windigo gaining on us. I pulled the Febreze out of Scott's back pocket in the lighter. They got close enough to start swiping at me with their talons. I used the Febreze and I torched them. I hit the windigo this time, and he fell back, howling in pain. Scott eventually tripped onto the road, dropping me. He ran into the middle and stopped the first car to come. They swerved to avoid hitting us and started yelling out their window. What the hell are you boys doing? We got into their car without asking and told them to drive. They demanded we get out until they heard a roar and felt a chill come over them. They could see a massive figure approaching the car by looking into the tree line and the man stepped on the gas. I turned around as we sped off and Stephanie ran onto the road wearing the moose skull. Persephone turned into Hades. She fell to her knees and released a deafening shriek. The man almost drove off the road, but luckily his wife grabbed the wheel, kept him on track. <laughs>